How many of you have at some point been to like a state fair where they have different competitions? Oh, kids, yes, sorry. Kids, uh, One Hope Kids Church uh, up through fifth grade. Uh, that's uh, invited to uh, uh, participate in that. Special things uh, for you. So how many have been to a, a state fair where you have seen maybe some animals be shown for a contest and whether it's horses, pigs, cows, anybody that has, has been, okay, it smells bad, but it is pretty cool. So week before last, on October the 12th, uh, we had a chance to go down to Perry, Georgia, and uh, it's Kim's birthday, so I actually took the kids out of, the younger kids out of school, and uh, we were able to walk around, uh, and this is one of the, the next slide here shows one of the things that we saw. So we walked up, you know, on uh, this dairy cow, and this gentleman was grooming the dairy cow. Anybody want to take a guess on what his position and profession is called? What he does as he grooms the dairy cows for showtime uh, and for these contests, what is he called? Anybody? A fitter. A fitter. Like, man, I mean, that's, I've got my money's worth. I'm ready to go home. That's, that was good enough. So he explained to us that he is a fitter, and that is what he does full time. And so sometimes people will even fly him uh, into locations. He's flown out to California. They fly him into other areas. Um, and he will, he's from Tennessee, somewhere in Tennessee. But that's what he does. He gets the dairy cows ready for showtime, uh, shaving. He uses hairspray, blow dryers. I mean, it's crazy is what we're learning about this. So what does that tell you about American culture? American culture is very much about competition, right? Who's the best? What's the best pig? What's the best dairy cow? What's the fastest horse? We were talking with another gentleman. He said, yeah, well, I've got some of my race horses here, and they're some of the best in America. I'm like, well, great. You know, and he said, and I'm hoping to get some of my money back uh, tomorrow as we, as we have some barrel racing. I paid the entrance fees, and I'm counting on some of my racers and my horses to, uh, to bring some of that money back in. And you know, really a nice gentleman and kind of explaining. We walked into another entire building where the whole building had uh, art and crafts and quilts and different types of blankets and pies and jams. And on every one of those, there were ribbons. First place, second place, honorable mention. But that is a, lot, a big part of American culture, is that uh, we want to win. We want to be the best. We want to you know, have the award. And uh, even last night, we incorporated that, as I mentioned, in the pumpkin carving contest. We could have just carved pumpkins just to have fun, right? But we, it was a contest. And uh, unfortunately, as we think about tech in the home, sometimes we use our tech devices in the same way to really have selfish kind of exaltation and to say, I want to be better. You've got kind of the initial outline and then uh, pick up on your outline where it says Sunday, October uh, 22nd. And we're looking at how oftentimes tech is corrupted or abused. And a huge part of this is selfish living. Uh, we looked at uh, uh, the idea of entertainment and all that and how we can abuse that last Sunday. But selfish exaltation. I want to be better. Now, not only is our tendency to say, I want to be better than others, 
But oftentimes, we'll even use some of these, these uh, social media and things like that to try to portray ourselves as even better than we really are. So we don't even want to be just better than others. We want to be better than ourselves. And so we, we put this thing sometimes on social media. We, we uh, uh, very strategically curate the, the photos that we put on there and how we appear and how our house appears and how our kids appear and what clothes we have. If you wonder and doubt about this, after the service... I may come up to you randomly and say, hey, um, I'm ready to take your, I'm going to take your picture. Many of you will go, oh, wait, wait a minute, you know, and you'll do this number, right? And you're going, well, you know, my mom always had her favorite side. I guarantee it. Every, every picture, she's like, this is my favorite side. I'm like, why is that your favorite side? I mean, what, what is that? How's that your best side? But that's, that's a thing because we want to be better even than ourselves, Sometimes that happens on dating apps, and unfortunately, there can be some, some huge fails at that. The two people meet, and they're like, wait, what, you, what, what happened? And then other times, it can be a great success. Philippians 1.21 says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So as we're in this tech world, again, we've already talked about, we, we could try to condemn it and just exclude ourselves, but that's not possible, really, in our culture. It's just very, very difficult. It's here to stay. So we have to think about how is this corrupted and how do we change and renew our minds to, to combat that? Well, this is the attitude. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is not to be the best. For me to live is not to be better than somebody else. For me to live is not to get a bunch of comments on my social media posts. For me to live is Christ. And Paul goes on, he says, but to die is gain. And so his opinion was, I would rather go and be with Christ, but if God allows me to stay longer, then living is for Christ. So I want to be better. Secondly, oftentimes the attitude is I want to be right. I want to be right. Kind of the rule of the day is I want to be right. I want to win this argument. Truth not, is not necessarily as important anymore. I just want to, I want to be right about it. I want to be the one that, that wins the argument. I've mentioned several times a secular documentary that uh, I watched, Social Dilemma. And uh, this fact was from uh, one of the uh, executives that worked at, uh, I believe it was Twitter, now X. But it says this, fake news spreads six times faster on Twitter, now X, than true news. Spreads six times faster than true news. Guillaume Chaslot, he was a former engineer at YouTube, and notice what he says, and it should be up on the screen. It says, at YouTube, I was working on YouTube recommendations. It worries me that an algorithm that I worked on is actually increasing polarization in society. But from the point of view of watch time, this polarization is extremely efficient at keeping people online. Why is that? Because these algorithms are such where we begin, you know, kind of down a path and we're searching for something or we're looking for something. And then the rest of the recommendations kind of keep, you know, going down further and further that path. So if we begin to pursue something that is not true, then we're just going to go deeper and deeper and deeper into falsehood. And so we need to be very careful that as we live and as we use our tech devices and as we use our social media what is my main question? What is my main goal? Is it just to be right or is it to lovingly share and proclaim the truth? Notice what Ephesians 4.15 says. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. I have been greatly burdened sometimes as I've, uh, you know, watched on, on Facebook things that happen and, and other, you know, social media platforms where sometimes brothers and sisters in Christ who will come together on a Sunday like this, and I, believe me, I don't have any of you in mind, okay? But other brothers and sisters of Christ, one hope wouldn't do this, but other brothers and sisters of Christ, they'll come together on a Sunday, some will sit here, others will sit there, they may even say, hey, good, have a good Sunday, have a good week, God bless, great service, yep, amen, you know, wave the hand and then go to their cars, but during the week, Something polemic comes up and one will put something out on Facebook and the brother or sister in Christ will attack and then they'll go back and forth and then you may have other people in the congregation who, you know, put the popcorn emoji up and go, hey, I'm just going to watch this and eat the popcorn and see what happens. All of that we should be reminded of, is my main goal just to win? Is it just to be right? Is it just to be kind of on the, on the, the winning side of the argument or... Is it to share the truth in love? Generally speaking, that's probably not the best platform to try to put out our opinions and try to win arguments. Personal relationships are best. To share, to know someone. Just, just recently, someone was mentioned, he said, you know, recently God has given me um, several uh, liberal, politically liberal friends. And he said, it's actually been good. Because instead of just this nebulous, you know, anonymous face in the news or on social media, I know these people now. I care for these people. I understand that they're not just stupid people. They really believe in some of the things that they, they teach. And it has given me a much more personal perspective. Praise God for that. Because we are human beings. We aren't just text on a black and white or colored screen. So we need to be reminded that it's not about just being right. It's not about just being better. Selfish exaltation. Next, selfish affirmation. Selfish affirmation. I want to be liked. I want to be liked. This desire is not new by, by any stretch of the imagination. I think from the beginning of man, especially after the fall, of course, in Genesis 3, from that time on, the wickedness in our heart, this is something that we desire. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. But notice, I, I thought something was insightful that was written about 10 years ago when Instagram was fairly new still. And notice what this mom said and blogger, Sarah Brooks. She said, have you considered that your child is given numerical values on which to base his or her social standing? For the first time ever, your children can determine their worth using actual numbers provided by their peers. And then she goes on. Let me explain. Your daughter has 139 followers, which is 23 less than Jessica, but 56 more than Bo. Your son's photo had 38 likes, which is 14 less than Travis's photo, but 22 more than Spencer's. And then she says, see what I mean? There's a number attached to them, a ranking. And don't be fooled. This is not just for adolescent girls and guys. This is for teenagers. This is for young adults. This is for middle age. This is even for seniors, senior adults. Because all of us have a desire to be liked. We want to be liked. Next, I want to be praised. I want to be praised. 
The beginning stages maybe as you begin to use social media, it may be kind of a normal or a natural thing to, to, to think, hey, this is something I'm already doing. I'm going to post, you know, I'm going to put a picture of this and, uh, and then enjoy some of the comments and some of the things. And that's not sinful, okay? I'm not trying to say you should never post. And again, I'm not the social media police. I'm not, you know, trolling your accounts to see if you're in line with all these principles. But, it, but what can happen is instead of doing something and then posting it just to kind of share, hey, this is an opportunity that God gave me or whatever, what can happen is then you begin to do those things so that you can post them in hopes that you're going to heap on yourself more affirmation. I'll give you an example. Several years back, as I was uh, preparing a similar study for our, our church in Brazil, uh, Kim read a, a, a post on Facebook And uh, the post was something like this. Just finished a meal, getting ready to take it to a needy family. Posted, you know, her, the meal, and the kitchen. Pure motives? Possibly. Could they be mixed motives? Very much so. Because what are some potential comments, what are some potential remarks on something like that? Oh, wow, that is so thoughtful. You know, wow, that is so thoughtful that you're doing that. Oh, what a great person you are. And then some of us would go, can you bring me food too? I mean, I'm hungry, help me out too. So these are some things that, that we want to, you know, sometimes heap praise on ourselves. Proverbs 27.2 says, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. So we've talked about how you could respond, to condemn it, to corrupt it, but now how should you respond? What are some ways as believers, as followers of Christ, with biblical principles, how should we respond? First of all, control it. Control it. God has given us a responsibility to, this has been a gift that he's given us, we can use it for great good, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but we need to bring it under control. Now, Alex Rotter, former senior VP of engineering at Twitter, he says this. Again, secular opinion. But notice this controlling is not going to come from regulations. This controlling is not going to come from the tech companies going, oh, we're so concerned, you know, for families and individuals. So we're going to institute all of these controls. Listen to what he says. But you can't, in practice, put the genie back in the bottle. You can make some tweaks, but at the end of the day, you've got to grow revenue and usage quarter over quarter. The bigger it gets the harder it is for anyone to change. That's former senior VP of engineering at Twitter. Another contributor in the Social Dilemma documentary said, there is no fiscal reason for these companies to change. Because fiscally, this works. They're making big time money on you and me. So there's no reason for, it, for the tech companies to control it. So that leaves it in our hands with the, with the help of the Holy Spirit who's with us all the time as believers to then bring this under control and something that will give glory to God. How do we do it? First of all, identify the threats. Identify the threats. Can you imagine if a country that had no idea who their enemies were? I probably wouldn't stay a country very long. If they had no idea what enemies were around and what enemies you know, may be against them, uh, can you imagine a team? Soccer team, football, volleyball, whatever it is, lacrosse. Can you imagine a team that has no idea who who they were going to play? They they just go on a field and they're like, I I have no idea. Is anybody going to show up? Have no idea. Can you imagine a team that were to do that? Can you imagine a driver 
not even caring about who else is on the road. And you're like, yeah, all the time in Metro Atlanta, that's about 50% of the drivers. But we have to understand, not that the other drivers are our enemies, but we need to identify what are the threats, what are the dangers around me. When it comes to tech in your home, you better make the effort to identify the threats. And you may say, oh, I, I don't have time to figure that stuff out. Listen, you don't have time not to figure that out. You may say as parents, you know, listen, my, you know, my kids are on, on this and that and this app and this app, and I just, I, I just don't know all about that stuff. Well, if your kids are on that stuff, you better know what's going on. You better, you better figure it out. You better ask some questions. You better see, you know, what's going on with that. Because that, these are some of the threats we have. Notice in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 through 13. We'll just read the first couple verses because of time. But notice this is part of, and all the way back to the beginning of the study, this is part of a worship issue. This is part of a spiritual battle. Finally be strong in the Lord, verse 10 of Ephesians 6, and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the what of the devil? The schemes, the strategy, and, and, and again, these, some of the strategies we've talked about in recent weeks, uh, music and movies and porn and, and social media, these are some great strategies in, in the sense that great for Satan, great for the flesh, horrible for us as we follow, try to follow Christ. So we need to bring this under control, identify the schemes of the devil, and then notice verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm." We have to identify the threats. Next, outline your borders. So once I've identified the threats, then, then what are the limits? What are the borders? How am I going to set up a, you know, a security perimeter around myself individually and around my family if, if you're married, if you're, if, you know, if you're a couple? How can I help set that around my family? You need to outline your borders. As citizens of different nations, and there's many different nations represented even this morning, but as citizens of different nations, I believe all of us understand the importance of borders. And as we lived 18 years in Brazil, we would go back and forth, okay, to Brazil, live for several years, come back for a while in the States, and then go back to Brazil again. And we understood very well that at each of those times we would be going through customs and we would ask questions and fill out forms. And three of our kids are dual citizens, so they had two passports. And uh, with the rest of us, that made 10 passports. So I had this like binder that I had all these passports in and a filing system. <laughs> so I put all 10 passports up. Why? Because I knew that I had to have all the documents straight and in order to be able to cross both borders without issue. As families, as individuals, what are your borders? Notice with me in Ephesians chapter, uh, let's, let's see. First of all, answer the question, what? What? Okay, so uh, what types of technology? Your children don't have to have all of the apps that you do. We'll talk about it a little bit. They don't even have to have a phone necessarily, but they, they don't have, certainly don't have to have all the apps that you do. They don't have to do you know, everything you do because they're children. They're under your care. You are the shepherd. 
So what types of technology? Some general guidelines as to what information should or should not be shared online. What can they post? Should they post pictures of themselves? If you say yes, what kind of pictures? Um, how often? You know, so answer the question, what? Should they put you know, your family's social security numbers online? Should they take pictures of your credit card and say, hey, use this, this works? <laughs> what do we do? You know, what is the border? Next question is when? When? Should they use it at school? Should they use it at church? Uh, during youth activities, while they're doing homework? Uh, while they work? Mealtime with the family? You know, for how long? So when? Now, more specifically, and this is a question that comes up often is, when should I allow my kid to have a smartphone? And, and rest assured, I'm not going to give you a specific age. But notice in Ephesians chapter 5 some principles that I want you to consider. Ephesians chapter 5, 15 and 16. As we look at, is it age or maturity? Age or maturity? First of all, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Fast forward, or rewinding all the way back to the beginning, we talked about one of the issues of why this is so important and what is foundational. One of the things we talked about is this is a stewardship issue. So these two verses provide for us a way that we should evaluate as we look at our children and even ourselves, to be honest, Am I being a good steward of the time that God has given me? Am I making wise use of the time? Am I being a good steward of that? In the context, it's specifically talking about even making wise use of the gospel and of opportunities in that nature. But I think in a general sense, am I being a good steward of the time and opportunities that God gives me? Secondly, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Then jump ahead to verses 19 and 20. Uh, The last part of verse 19 says this, Making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the stewardship evaluation. Now we see in this part of of, of the passage, this is a worship evaluation. How are your kids doing in the area of worship? How do you see them ranking their priorities in their life in many different areas? Are they growing in their their search to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, as we see as the first and greatest commandment that Jesus gives us? This is a worship evaluation. Then lastly, we see in Ephesians 5, 19, the first part of it, it says, addressing one another. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a relationships evaluation. Are they growing? Are they showing maturity in their relationships, in their personal relationships? Because if they're not showing much maturity and kindness and respect and, and showing you know, someone else giving deference in their personal relationships, they're most likely not going to have a magical switch in their online relationships for all of that to just start happening. So you have to evaluate in, in life, in, real, in, you know, in personal uh, interactions, do we see this stewardship, worship, and then relationships? And then think about you know, this, this idea of um, being willing to even admit that you've made mistakes. We have five children. 
I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but you, you, you know our five. Many of you know our five children, and we've made mistakes. Younger children, don't say amen to that. Or my younger children, okay? We made some mistakes. And there's been times where our younger kids have kind of thrown up in our face, well, you know, you gave so-and-so a phone at this age. I'm like, well, yeah, that's what happened to her. <laughs> but that's not, that's the, the goal is to say, listen, we're learning. As parents, there is trial and error. As, as a dad and as a mom, we are enrolled in ongoing or continuing education as parents for the rest of our lives. So as long as we have children on this earth, even when we're 70 and 80, we're still going to be learning things about our kids and our grandkids. So we should be enrolled in continuing education. You can't check out. When they check into junior high school, when they even go to high school, you can't say, man, I've done my part. I'm just going to step back and let, it, let them have it. You cannot do that. God has never given us an excuse in the Bible to say, okay, quit your shepherding. As you have older children, it goes into more of kind of coaching and a friend. Quit being a friend. Quit being open for advice. No, it says continue. So we should be enrolled in, in that class and be willing to say, I've made some mistakes and we've made some mistakes. And these are some things that we've learned. And we want to help you to avoid some of the things that we've seen some of the other struggles, some of the others, you know, struggle with. So as you think about, you know, age and maturity, but then also deliberate mode or default mode. Deliberate mode or default mode. What is, you know, as, as you watch your kids, as you watch your family in action, what is the default mode when things maybe get a little silent, when things get a little bit, uh, when there's a lull, you know, at the house or in the trip? What is the default mode? Is it for everybody uh, to, you know, just go back to the phones again, put the earbuds in again? Is that the default mode, or is there intentionality on when we're using tech, how we're using that? Another question on establishing the borders is where? Where? Evaluate the element of competency. Of competency. Are your kids appropriate, you know, is it age appropriate and maturity level appropriate for what you're allowing them to do? Let me illustrate. So as a three-year-old, do you think it's a good idea for us to give a razor blade uh, box cutter to a three-year-old to go sleep and keep in his room? No. Because you might do like Michael did several years ago in whittling some wood with a box cutter and he whittled part of his finger. So if I, if I give him that, and it's, that was several years ago, right, Michael? Um, we gave it to him when he was four, not three. <laughs> but, so he whittled part of his finger. We thought he was ready, but he wasn't quite ready. But he whittled part of his, you know, and we, it was like blood everywhere. So we knew this is not a good thing for him just to have, especially not in his room. Is it a good idea for a 10-year-old to, you know, keep a circular saw, a skill saw in his room? Can you do great things with a skill saw? Absolutely. You can do phenomenal things with a skill saw and build things and bless people with those. But a 10-year-old, most 10-year-olds are not ready to keep a skill saw in their room. Oh, okay, okay, all right, pastor, what about this? Would you encourage your 13-year-old to take your keys and go to the football game on Friday night? Of course not. I mean, that's my car. Or you may think, that's my truck. I mean, I don't want my 13-year-old, you know, driving my car or my truck. All right, so let me ask you this. Think about the damage that this can do if given inappropriately 
and when the child or young person is not competent yet. A knife can do great damage. Skill saw great damage. Car accident great damage. But I would say that in numbers and in the scope as we are seeing our culture, this is doing the most. So the question is, it's a level of competency. Is there a maturity level that we are seeing that this is an okay time and a good time to introduce this into the, the, you know, the kid's life? Secondly, there's a level, there's an element of transparency, of transparency. Growing, you know, growing up, this is uh, before, <laughs> this is a little bit of my age, but before Facebook was even around to my, if, from what I understand for sure, um, I mean, email was just coming in, you know, AOL, you've got mail. That was just kind of coming out, but so Kim and I would actually write letters, you know, like on paper, and we would mail them, you know, back and forth when she was at college. So in my senior year in high school, as, we, as I was accumulating all of these letters, uh, so that was kind of our social media, we would actually send stuff in the mail, novel idea, but I would post, I would put these letters up on a cork board by my bed. My, my room, I understood kind of as a general rule growing up, unless I'm changing or something like that, my room, I, I was not to lock my room. My parents didn't barge in. They respected my privacy. They knew that I was a, a senior in high school. I was, uh, you know, grow, growing and doing things. I had my own lawn business. So they didn't treat me as a little toddler. But yet there was a level of, there's transparency here. And I knew that as I posted those letters on that cork board, I knew that my dad and mom could come, at, come in at any time and read through those letters. And so you know what that helped me do? That helped Kim and I both to keep our communication clean. God honoring. I didn't, it didn't matter to me if my parents looked at that. The same thing is true with, with this. Your children should not have password, you know, hidden passwords that you don't know. There should be transparency in all devices they use. Couples, I'm going to go further. Husband or wife, neither one of you should have tech devices with passwords hidden from your spouse. There's no need for that. When Kim and I first got married, we determined early on there's going to be transparency. She can, for many, many years, we had one email account. So we both got everything. And we, you know, we just knew. Eventually, we, we have split up into two uh, email accounts, but we have passwords for both. And we regularly look, and not because we are doubting, but because we get kind of communication from different ways. And we're on each other's email accounts. We have a joint Facebook account. We have joint bank account. I mean, we, we have this transparency. My, the, the door on my office doesn't have a lock. She and the kids can open that at any time. I don't have a separate Netflix account that's, that's protected that only I see what I watch. No, it's all transparent. Anybody, my kids, my, my, my wife especially, has access to that. That's biblical. That's part of being open and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. You know, I, I want to live in such a way where my family members, God already knows. We can't pass, you know, passcode protect anything from God, right? God already knows. So let's put another element of, of uh, transparency and allow our family members, especially couples, your spouse. And then another border is why? Why? Is it to brag? What would you think... And many of you have been in our home. What would you think if you came in and you walked in the, you know, our, our entryway there 
And, and some of you may remember there's you know, a big glass calendar where we kind of have the, the stuff for the week for our family. What if on all the other spaces of the wall, there were all different types of poses of me? You know, and all these different types of poses, and, and you walk in the hallway, and then you come into the living room, and there's more pictures of David all over the house. And then under each picture, there's, there's like little chalkboards where you could write, um, you know, great qualities that you think about me as you come into, your, into my house. And I invite you to do that. I say, hey, take a minute, you know, before we eat, I just want you to walk around and I want you to see kind of all that I've done and really how good of a guy I am. And if you wouldn't mind before you leave, if you could leave five or ten, you know, great comments. Five star only, okay? I only want five star ratings on all these things. And so, so please do that for me. You probably wouldn't come back to my house again. Say, man, that, that guy, that pastor is really stuck on himself. I mean, there, there is a serious issue how often do we do that online? All kinds of pictures of myself. All kinds of things that how great I am and all these things that I've done. And man, I want the comments to flow and I want, you know, I want the likes to come in and I want the followers to increase. It, listen, friends, it's no different. It's no different. So be very careful of, of why. why. You know, why am I posting these things? And again, I don't want to encourage a church family to then go and err on the judgmental side. And at every post that you see this afternoon and tonight and tomorrow, please, you know, don't begin to go, oh, oh, I bet, yep, yep. They're just building themselves up. Well, I'm going to tear them down. <laughs> you are nothing. You know, what do you think you are? You're nothing. No. But the idea, as you think about yourself, as you help and shepherd and coach your children, ask, is this, like, like what, what's the motive? Is it to brag? Uh, do you want to praise God for this opportunity? Do you want to reflect glory to him? What is the motive for that? Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says this, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain, but then notice what John says in John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Christ must increase, but I must decrease. Secondly, the question is, is it to bash? Is it to bash? I've already talked about how brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of the same church family see each other sometimes almost every Sunday, but during the week, man, they're going at it all week long and they're not showing the love of Christ. Is it to bash? Somebody that has a different political view than you do, is, it, is, is the goal just to bash them to embarrass them, to try to shame them? Or do you have a genuine concern for that person's soul? Is it to bash? Proverbs 25, 11 says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and setting of silver. Is it to build up? Ephesians chapter 4 reminds us that we should only speak that which is edifying, that which ministers grace to those who hear us. And that goes for texting, that goes for all the communication that we have. Send encouraging notes, verse from scripture, thought-provoking quotes, let somebody know that you're praying for them. Most of the time, that's probably better done individually so that you're not tempted to, to, to do all these things so that other people can say, wow, what an encouraging brother in Christ you are. You know, you see, we've got to think about, God, help my motives to stay pure. Why am I doing these things? 
And as we've established the threats, as we've made our borders, notice next, check your borders often. Check your borders often. This morning as I left the house, left kind of in a hurry, and uh, was trying to meet the, the group here so they could go through the song and things like that. And I noticed as I was kind of coming around, the, you know, our neighborhoods of tea, and I was coming around that curve, I looked back in my rearview mirror, and the garage door was open. But no big deal, right? Because the, the family was, some of the family was still there. So hopefully as I get home this afternoon, hopefully that garage door will be, be closed. But there has been times, and I remember specifically one occasion in Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, we had gone left in the morning. We had a vacation Bible school. We were gone for about five hours. And in, in Brazil, understand, especially in, in Sao Paulo, a lot of the areas of the city of Sao Paulo, metropolitan area, much like Metro Atlanta, but just maybe five times larger. Um, so it, it's not if you're going to be robbed. It's when or, or how. I'm serious. I, I'm not, it's not a jab about, it's just reality. So most of our church people had been robbed in, in one way or another, sometimes on a bus, sometimes in their home, sometimes their car had been taken away. I mean, it was just a thing that you had to be aware of. Outside of the walls of our house, and we had high walls all the way around our house, as many of the other homes did, we had these spikes on top of the wall. That was kind of a discouragement for people to come over the wall. Some people would put broken glass on top of the wall. Some people would put electrical fences on top of their wall. But the idea was stay out of our place, you know, and leave our stuff alone. There was a little grass section outside of our wall, in between the wall and the street. And so in that little grass section, on numerous occasions, we tried to plant some pretty flowering plants in that front part. But those who walked in our neighborhood in the morning thought they were so pretty that they took them home with them and got them, took them out of the, the grass. So all that to say, what happened? We leave in the morning. We're gone for about five hours. As I come back, as we're coming back and I turn into our street, I see that our garage door is open. I've got all kinds of tools. So we were involved in planting churches and building buildings. So I had all kinds of power tools. Our house was not locked up very securely. I mean, it would be very easy to break in. I thought, oh my goodness, what are we going to discover? But thankfully, that sinking feeling in my, in, my, in my heart turned to gratitude as I looked again and I saw the street and the neighborhood guard standing right in front of our house. He said, hey, David, this was all in Portuguese, obviously. He said, hey, David, I noticed, you know, right after you left, you left the garage door open, and I've been standing here the whole time for about five hours. I'm like, thank you. You are my hero. You're great. But I didn't check the border. As I left, I, I did not think. I was thinking about other things, and, and Kim and I, we didn't check the border, and very easily that day could have ended very, very differently. The guard didn't shame me. He didn't put on the, you know, the, the, the HOA group. Can you imagine what the Huffmans did? I mean, they left their garage door open for five hours, and I had to stand here. He didn't shame me. But he kindly just said, hey, I'm glad I was here. I'm glad I saw it. And just next time, pay a little bit more attention. I'm like, yeah, I will. I will. Same thing is true as we check the borders of our home, as we check the borders of how our family uses tech, why? Notice the next verse, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's why. 
We have to check our borders. We have to do it often. And when we discover that there's been a security breach, when we discover that maybe one of the home rules you know, has been, has been you know, broken, remember all the way back to the beginning of the beginning of the study that this is an issue of worship. This is so much more about pursuing a heart relationship than it is about obeying the home rules. This is so much more about conforming to the image of Christ rather than just controlling the images on a screen. So when those security breaches happen and we are made aware of that, be reminded and help your children to know this is God's grace at work. You may be ashamed. You may be feeling really bad right now. But God has allowed this for for dad and mom to see this as an act of grace. And now we can help you to grow, to learn from this mistake, to avoid this happening again. And notice, this isn't, again, just for kids. Husbands, wives, as maybe our mistakes, as maybe we do security breaches and we choose to sin, and sometimes that is exposed Instead of just looking at that, whether it's our spouse or us individually, instead of looking at that and go, man, what an what a awful person you are. But to be reminded, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that I don't have to hide this anymore. Thank you that I can have freedom in Jesus Christ. Thank you that Satan can't, doesn't have to have a heyday in my life, but I can have victory in all of these areas. Check your borders often. Then lastly, channel it. Control it. The tech companies are not going to do that, but, but channel this. Channel the tech gifts that God has given us. And how can you use that? One is for the gospel of Christ. Paul David Tripp, I, I've never met him personally, but I've, been, I've benefited from a lot of his writings. He's very transparent. He, he shares some of the mistakes that he's made uh, as a pastor, a leader, a husband, you know, and a dad. Uh, but notice, this is something that Paul David Tripp says. He says, about 12 years ago, and this was written so about 15 years ago, actually, I realized that the way that the human culture would communicate was going to change, and that would be driven by these new internet media platforms. And I immediately thought, what a powerful tool for the gospel. One of the first things I did was I decided I would tweet the gospel three times every morning, and that began to just build and build and build. And I can honestly say that my entire ministry, the scope of my influence, has been changed by those social media platforms. We only ever project gospel messages, gospel messages that attach the truths of the gospel to the things of everyday life. It's been a tool of enormous good. We've talked a lot about the abuses and the corruption of this, but there is enormous and phenomenal opportunities also through tech. And in that way, he continues, I think we ought to plunder the Egyptians, take what the world has created, and use it for the kingdom of God. And I think there are powerful ways we can do that. You know that. You've experienced the, you've been benefited by others who who blog or, or preach or teach, singers. You've benefited from that. So channel this in a way and asking God, help me to, to keep my motives in check. Help this not to be so that I just look you know, great and like a wonderful Christian, but to project the gospel and encourage other people in Christ. This can be for the gospel of Christ, and it should also be for the good of others. For the good of others. In the New Testament, there's about 100 times where the phrase one another is mentioned. 50 or so, 56 or so of those are commands, negative and positive. 
John 13, 34 says, love one another. And in some form, that appears about 16 different times. Just in the book of Romans, listen to this. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. And God can use our social media platforms, texting, phone calls, emails, to do a lot of those things. They're not perfect substitutes and exclusive substitutes for personal interaction, but they're great add-ons and can really benefit many others for Christ. This series, the recommended book in the back, the best filter on the market, all of that, though, is not as powerful as one thing that I want to end with. You ready? This is it. Model it. Model it. You may have all the truths down. You may be able to quote the verses. You may know Philippians 4, 8, front and back, and you can just quote it fast. And you may know all these things. You may have the best internet filters installed in your home. You may check your borders. But I'm telling you, parents, I'm telling you those that mentor and have opportunities to disciple others, if you do not live it and model it yourself, that message will ring out far louder than anything else. That's why we see the truths in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is a huge burden of mine. This is a big responsibility. I, I desire and I pray that I can look at my kids and I say, Hey, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. There's certainly sometimes where my, my kids, they're, they're very intelligent and they know, okay, dad is not imitating Christ right now, so I don't think this is something we should, we should do either. Next, we see Paul in Philippians 4.9 say, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we close?